Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. So let's get to it this morning. We are in the process of doing a study through the book of Acts. And we're looking at the history of the early church. We are now looking at, or in the midst of Paul's second missionary journey, and today's topic is reasoning from and examining the scriptures. Reasoning from and examining the scriptures. And we're in chapter 17, and I'm going to read verse 1 to 15. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Let's pray briefly. Father, thank you for so much, as Pastor E said earlier, so much to give thanks for in so many different areas of our lives, Lord. Father, I realize that one of the things that mark either a backslidden person or an ungodly person is ungratefulness. And Father, I pray that you'd help us never to be caught slipping, found in that place of being ungrateful. Help us, Lord, on a daily basis, regardless of what we're confronted with, to be grateful. 
And like Job, even if we get hit with difficult circumstances, that we would bow the knee, raise our hands, and confess, Lord, you give and you take away. That's your prerogative. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And as we bless you today, we pray that, Lord, you would bless us even. That is by opening our heart like you did Lydia's last week. To hear and appreciate your word and to understand it. And then by the power of your spirit to put it into practice in our lives. Help us, we pray today. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Reasoning from and examining the scriptures. Here we are at an important section of Paul's second missionary journey, as mentioned, which will take us up to chapter 18, verse 22. Paul, along with Silas, along with Timothy and Luke, have previously arrived at Philippi after being redirected by the Lord through a vision. Upon their arrival, they find no synagogue in Philippi, only a few godly women who meet to pray by a river outside the gate. God graciously opens Lydia's heart to understand the gospel, and she responds. Later, a slave girl is delivered from demonic possession, resulting in Paul and Silas being imprisoned, which leads to the jailer of the same prison being set free from his sin. In a wonderful way, we see another group of believers, another church established in the faith, and that was Paul's desire, right, when he left out originally. And remember, it's, it's not in Jerusalem, it's not in, in Judea, it's not in Samaria that this church is established. It's not even in Asia. It's across the Aegean Sea on a new continent. Now, periodically, as we go through this book, we have looked back at an overall outline. And it's, it's really just in order for us to remember kind of where we are, and I'm going to just refer to that really briefly. The outline of the book of Acts is the spread of the gospel from one place to another, from Jerusalem to Rome. And we've already looked, as I said, at chapter 1 through 7, which spoke about the birth of the church in Jerusalem. And that section was summed up in chapter 6, verse 7, that the word kept on spreading and numbers increased. The second section is chapter 8 through 9. And in that section, we see the expansion of the church into now Samaria and beyond. And it says in chapter 9, verse 31, summing up that section, the church had peace and was strengthened. Now, in the midst of all of that, there was a lot of drama and even disaster. Remember, James got killed by the sword. But we learned that regardless of what happens in our lives, God has a purpose. And we're a part of that purpose. We are not the purpose. God's purpose is the purpose. And when we keep that in focus, then we won't be offended. We won't be frustrated. We recognize that God is fulfilling his will. And he's got us. Because we're going home at a certain point. And all of the drama and all of the, everything that we're confronted with will be over. Amen? So, then we get to chapter 10 through 12, which is the third section. And we see then something quite groundbreaking. The gospel not just going to Jews, but now the opening of the gospel to the Gentiles. And then, I should mention, chapter 12, verse 24 says, The word of God continued to grow 
and multiply. Regardless of what happened, God's purpose was continuing to move on. Then in chapter 13, through to chapter 28, which is the end of the book, we see this fourth fourth section. The gospel spreads throughout Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and then over to Europe. And um, it all fulfills exactly what Jesus said, doesn't it? At the beginning of this book, in chapter 1, verse 8, he said to his disciples, before they'd even begun to preach the gospel, And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's beautiful. That's the, that's the construction of the book. That's the framework of the book. And we've, as I said, done chapter 1, verse, chapter 1 through 7, chapter 8 through 9, and chapter 10 through 12. And now we are in chapter 17, and we're now looking at Paul's second missionary journey. Now, just to trace quickly the journey that Paul has had on this second journey. He's already done one round trip. He's now on a second journey. And he's left from where he's based at his church in Antioch in Syria, called Syrian Antioch, because there's another Antioch in Pisidia. But they leave Antioch. This time, as I mentioned, him, Silas, and they go to Troa, they go to Lystra, which is where Paul got stoned. And when they get to Lystra, they pick up Timothy, who's a young disciple, as we saw a couple of weeks ago. Then they go to Iconium, travel to Troas, because remember, they were trying to go back inland, but they couldn't because the Holy Spirit resisted them and prevented them. They end up going to the end of the, the mainland, as it were, and they end up in Troas, which is where Paul gets a vision from a man in Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And so they travel from Troas, jump on a boat, determining that's where the Lord wanted them to go. And they travel over, can you see, to Philippi, which is in Macedonia. Now, if you look at verse 1 of Acts chapter 17. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, which is not far from Philippi. If you just have a look at the map, I think it's about 100 miles and they traveled southwest down to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, which was unlike Philippi. Remember, there was no synagogue. They couldn't find ten godly Jewish men. So no synagogue there, but there's a synagogue here. And already, as mentioned, the gospel is reaching towards the ends of the earth. So we see the, the first beachhead established where? On the continent of Europe in Philippi. And now the faithful missionaries continue to, to move west along what is called the Ignatian Way to this new city, Thessalonica. And Thessalonica, in contrast to Philippi, is much larger. Politically and commercially, it's the capital of this Macedonian region. Thessalonica still enjoys great prominence and is actually the second largest city in Greece even till today. Now, the end of verse 1 and beginning of verse 2 says that Paul, in customary fashion, goes where? He goes to the synagogue. Paul is the missionary to the Gentiles, but he has a really big heart for the Jews. He has a big heart for his own people. He's faithful to his calling, that's to the Gentiles, but he has a burden for the Jews. In Romans chapter 9... 
verse 1 through 4, is Paul speaking, says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Remember, Moses said that way back in the Old Testament as well. See, being careful not to be nationalistic, Paul loves his people and desires to see them benefited by the gospel. How many of you know there are, there are businessmen who have a heart for businessmen? There are rappers who have a heart for other rappers. There are ladies who have been through difficult circumstances as younger ladies who have a heart for younger ladies they have a burden for pregnant teenage mothers. Why? Because they've been there. Personally, I have a burden for Jamaica. And um, I also have a, a burden for men who are not committed to their families. That's my, that's my burden. So Paul has a burden for his people. What is your burden? Verse 2, and Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them. How? From the scriptures, particularly from the Old Testament, doing two things, opening and alleging, it says in the King James. Another translation says, laying before and demonstrating. The ESV which is a translation I read from earlier, says, verse 3, explaining and proving. I love that translation. Explaining and proving what? That it was necessary for the Christ to do two things. One, to suffer. Two, and to rise from the dead. And many Jews had anticipated a coming Messiah, which is the Hebrew equivalent of the word Christ. But as much as they had anticipated it, <clears throat> it hadn't happened the way they had anticipated. They had expected someone like David, King David, a great warrior, a military mastermind, one who would overthrow the Romans and put an end to Israel's impotence they were looking for one who would sit on the throne and reign not only over Israel but over all of the nations well that does go some way to describing the Messiah or the Christ but what the Jews had not realized was that there was one Christ but two comings his second coming would, would be to fulfill all that they'd anticipated. That is, prophecies like Isaiah 9 and Zechariah 14. Isaiah 9, verse 6 through 7 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and, and forevermore. This is what, these, are the, these are the predictions of the Messiah that they were expectant of. Zechariah 14, <clears throat> verse 3 through 4 says, Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies, be that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west to be a very wide valley so that one half of the mountain shall move northward and the other half southward. They're waiting for him to come and stand up and put all the other enemies down. And the thing is, this will be fulfilled. But at the Christ's second coming, what they failed to realize were the prophecies fulfilled during the Christ's first coming. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through one of the classic Old Testament chapters that makes reference to the Christ in his first coming particularly. Isaiah chapter 53, it's 12 verses, starting at verse 1. Who has believed what they've heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up. Who's the he? This is the Christ. He grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground. It's like something coming out you wouldn't expect. He had no formal majesty that we should look at him. You're looking for a king. But that's not how he's coming initially. He's coming actually the, the absolute opposite to that. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? Verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked. Wow. And with a rich man in his death, Wow. Although he had done no violence. Wow. And there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, 
he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Isn't it crystal clear who this is referring to? Yet many of the Jews didn't realize this, even though they read from the scrolls every Sabbath. And as an interjection, we read about the future prophecies and predictions. Some of them are clear, some of them ain't so clear. They call it eschatology, talking about the things of the last times. And there are four or five different views on how it's all going to pan out. And we're not sure. But guess what? When it all happens and it's said and done, we'll look back and we'll be like, huh, that's what it was. And it will be real simple then, but it's not so easy now. And this is what it was like for these Jews. Then, when they looked at this prophecy, it wasn't so clear. But to us, it's crystal clear. And see, the Messiah, the Christ... He was to be the, the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. He was to be the ruler of the world, as it says in the second psalm. But he would also be the Lamb of God, who would be silent before his shearers as he is led to the slaughter. See, he was, he was both, but not at the same time. In his second coming, he would be the king who sits on David's throne. But at his first coming, he would be a man of sorrows. At his first coming, he would be slain. He would die as a suffering servant. And he would do so on account of sinful mankind. See, this is the gospel. This is the good news. God had predetermined to send a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. See, how many sinners in here today can put their hand up and say, yeah, that's good news? Psalm 22 Speaking about the same person, and I'm going to just pick out a few selected verses. Verse 1 is a classic. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When have you heard that phrase before? When Jesus hung on the cross, he screamed this out. And you see, if you're a Jew, most of us are not Jews, right? And most of us are not that familiar with the Old Testament. If you as a Jew, listen you would know immediately that he was making reference to Psalm 22. Why? Because the Psalms are songs. And these are songs that every Jewish person would know because they sung them at all of the festivals, repeatedly. They'd be like one of the hit songs that, that you know. And I'm not going to sing none because if I sing one, then you're going to start thinking about it and it's going to distract you. <laughs> right? But they knew as soon as he said that, boom, Psalm 22. 
Listen to, the, to some of the other verses in Psalm 22. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Where did you hear that? From the scoffers who stood up and saw him on the cross. Actually were guilty of actually putting him on the cross. Scoffing. This is not an account of them doing it. This is Psalm 22. Years before they were even born. And if anything, they should have known, because they weren't just Jews, they were religious Jews. Who should have known better. I tell you, that's why on a daily basis we have to cry, Lord, help me by your spirit. Because you know you could even be found to be fighting against God if you're not careful. Verse 15 of Psalm 22 says, continuing, my strength is dried up. Think about Jesus on the cross. My strength is dried up like pottery. You know, like crusty, dried up pottery that ain't painted. Dry. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You know, when you're crucified, one of the, one of the, one of the things that you suffer from is uh, a lack of moisture. I can't remember the word. What is it? Dehydration. You lay me in the dust of death. My tongue, sorry, my tongue sticks to my jaw. Dehydration. You lay me in the, in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. And check it, that's not just physical, that's also spiritual. I can count all my bones. Jesus was messed up on the cross. I mean, prior to even going to the cross. Jesus was messed up physically. I mean, you've seen the passion of the Christ. Horrendous, but that probably doesn't even come close. He's there on the cross looking at his bones through his own flesh. And check it. Oh my goodness. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. And I can count all my bones. They stare and glow over me. They divide my garments among them. Oh my goodness. And for my clothing they cast lots. Check it. All of these things took place at the crucifixion, yet they were, pre they were predicted to take place years before they happened. He talks about the fact, the psalmist is, he talks about the fact that his, his hands and his feet were pierced. Evidently that's crucifixion, but 500 years before crucifixion had even been invented. It's a lot. And it gets even better when we see that the Christ didn't stay dead. Before I come to that, let me just mention this real quick. Mark mentioned that it's Halloween today, right? And one of the things I said last week was to take some tracks and put them in a bag with sweets. Don't just give them the track. <laughs> They'll probably throw it on the floor. <laughs> but they may just see it as they take the sweets out and start chomping on them, right? Put a track in a bag and give them to the kids as they do trick-or-treating tonight. We've got a batch of them at the back if you never heard the announcement. We're asking if you could just take 10 maximum per person. Um, we've got a box full. Hopefully it will be enough for everyone. But 
I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever come across these tracks. They're called chick tracks. When I first became a Christian 21 years ago, this is a year before I got married, I just read, I think I read every single one of these tracks that was available. Someone dumped a few on me. I was like, wow, this is amazing. And they were such a blessing back in them early days. And um, there's a lot of this, probably about, I don't know, maybe 100 titles or so. And um, we got a batch of This Is Your Life. This is the classic one at the back. So grab some if you don't have any and do that tonight. I think I wanted to show this track. It's called Creator or Liar. Anybody read this one? Again, it's one of the original old school tracks. This track has a page in there that relates to what we're talking about. You probably can't see it from where you are. But on the the week of Jesus' crucifixion, or the week leading up to the crucifixion, me and my son were talking about this last week. The week that led up to his crucifixion, over 30 prophecies from the Old Testament were fulfilled. Just in the last week of his life. So, his death, his crucifixion. But as I mentioned... Isn't it better when we see that the Christ was going to die, but he wasn't going to stay dead? But it would fulfill all the predictions and the prophecies outlined in the scriptures. Psalm 16 says, I have set the Lord before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul in Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Verse 10 of Psalm 16 is a reference to what? The resurrection. A man whose body that doesn't see corruption, that doesn't see decay in the grave. Why? Because the body is raised back to life. That is before it has time to decompose. It's the resurrection. Predicted years before it takes place. And it is all here. Where? In the scriptures. And remember, Paul didn't have a New Testament to turn to. There was no New Testament at this point. It hadn't even been written. And Paul takes three weeks in Thessalonica now to explain these things. So going back to our verse in Acts 17, verse, verse 2. And Paul went in, as, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them. From what? The scriptures. We just looked at the things that Paul would have been speaking to them about. Talking to them, sharing with them. With regard to the Christ. And look at his conclusion. Saying, this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. The Christ, the Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament. He finds, he finds his, this prophecy finds its fulfillment in a unique man. Who was born in Bethlehem according to Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Who was born to a virgin, according to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Who grew up in in Nazareth, a place from which they had said, nothing good can come from Nazareth. See, you can see Paul saying to them in the synagogue, this is the one. The one that you read about in the Jerusalem Gazette. Right? A few years ago. The one who the prophet John proclaimed. 
You lot remember John, John the baptizer? The one who he proclaimed. The one who fed thousands in the wilderness. The one who healed the sick, cast out demons and raised the dead. The one that caused the stir in the temple. His mother's name is Mary and his stepfather's name is Joseph. And his name is Jesus. And he is the Christ. He's the Messiah. And it was Luke, the author of this book, Acts, that also wrote the Gospel of Luke, where in chapter 4, we, we have Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 14, it says, And Jesus returned in, now this is the New Testament, right? And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. This is just after he's been tempted in the wilderness by the devil. And, and he's about to start his ministry now. He's 30 years old, approximately. And a report about him went, went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, just like, it's just like Paul, in it? In the synagogue, just like his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Was it Paul earlier that said we have to follow Paul like he follows Christ? See, here's an example of Paul following Christ. And on the Sabbath day, this is Jesus, he stood up to read from the Old Testament scrolls. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll. Now they're heavy, not like us. They never had no chapter and verses in those days. So when the Bible talks about searching the scriptures, they mean it. And we're going to see that in a minute. He opens, he gets the scroll of the prophet Isaiah is given to me, unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now Jesus is in the synagogue and they just, it's, it's, a, it's a normal Sabbath. It's a normal Saturday. They all come together to worship. Dad's sitting in the back there and the kids are fooling around. And it's a normal Sabbath day. But it's not. Because he stands up to read. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And you can imagine him in the back saying, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. He's just reading from the prophet Isaiah. Wonderful. Hallelujah. Right? Not knowing... What he's going to say in a moment. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Because it's from this posture now they would expound the scriptures as the rabbi. And they're all waiting for him now to break it down like you're sitting there waiting for me to break it down. That's all they're expecting. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him. And marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, wait a minute. What did he just say? Nah. Isn't this Joseph's son? Like the regular person? The carpenter's son? Like no one special? See, Jesus 
reading from the, the scriptures that declared him to be who he was years before he was even born. So Paul identifies the Jesus of history with the Christ of the scriptures. Do you see that? Paul, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, verse 3, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Paul is standing up in the synagogue just like Jesus was, but with these Jewish believers in Thessalonica. And it's amazing what happens next. And I'm not surprised it happens. I'm not surprised that it happens. Verse 4. And some of them were persuaded. I mean, anyone here persuaded? I mean, wow. And some of them were persuaded, verse 4, and joined Paul and Silas as did a great many of the devout Greeks. Remember, these devout Greeks now, they're not Jews, these are the God-fearers, potentially the proselytes who are converts to Judaism, right? And not a few of the leading women. You can see, you can see that we're moving away from Eastern culture, westward toward Europe, where females were much more liberated. We saw that last week in Philippi with Lydia. Notice that Luke talks about not just the Jews or the Greeks, but also the women. But look, not everyone is persuaded or pleased for that matter. Look at verse 5. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, wow, they formed a mob. Does this sound familiar? And they set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. Seemingly, this is, this is who Paul and his companions were staying with. So they, that is these unpersuaded Jewish leaders in this, from the synagogue. So they attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Verse 6. And when they could not find them that is Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting out, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And evidently they weren't pleased about it. Well, I would argue that they weren't actually turning the world upside down, as you've probably heard before, they were actually turning the world right side up. Amen? They continue shouting, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Sound familiar? These religious leaders follow the lead of the original Jewish leaders who crucified Christ. Who follow the pattern of the Old Testament Jewish leaders who in times past persecuted the prophets. It's the same thing the religious Pharisees did in Jerusalem with the Lord Jesus when they went to the Roman authorities to accuse him before Pilate, remember? So, they are, I mean, they're so snake-like, real slippery and sly. Verse 8, and the people and the city authorities were disturbed 
when they heard these things. See, this whole area is a Roman province. And Thessalonica is a Roman colony. Which means that as the ruling authority, Rome has a no-nonsense policy. She will not tolerate any type of insurgents or uprising or revolt. And it's the same thing that happened last week in Philippi when Paul and Silas were imprisoned. Verse 9. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. That is, they posted bond, right, or they bailed them. And Jason's release was probably based on him agreeing to the permanent departure of Paul and Silas without return, based on severe penalties if the agreement was broken. Why do I say that? Because Paul will later write to this church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18, saying that we wanted to come and visit you, but we were, but were being hindered by Satan, which is probably a reference to these authorities. Hindering the work. Verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. So they moved from Philippi down to Thessalonica, which is where they are now. But now, verse 10 says that they move from Thessalonica and they go probably about 40 miles to a place called Berea. Berea. And when they arrive, these guys are unbelievable. Look what they do. <laughs> they send Paul and Barlow, Paul and Silas away here. You'd think they would do anything now just to stay out of trouble. No. They get to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. <laughs> Talk about men on a mission. Sometimes you get confronted with difficult circumstances. You'd be like, mm-mm, man, I tried to do that, and the door seemed to be closed. So, hey, maybe it's not the Lord's will. <laughs> and it might not be, but sometimes it may well be. I'll tell you, being a Christian ain't easy, right? Again, the most favored position and posture of a believer is where? On your knees. On my knees. Constantly having to ask the Lord for direction, for wisdom, for strength. Amen? Now you would think that this would be the last place to go because of the drama that they just encountered. But look at the contrast. Verse 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in the last city, that is Thessalonica. How so? Because they received the word with all eagerness. And here's the reason why. Look at what they did. They examined the scriptures daily. They examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. This gives the impression that potentially the Jews who were at Thessalonica were not searching and examining the scriptures daily. They thought they knew it. And that's pride. We have to, we have to stay in our Bibles every day. In Hebrews 3, it gives you the impression that we're supposed to have fellowship every day 
You shouldn't go a 24-hour period without having some kind of contact with another believer, either encouraging or being encouraged by them. You wonder sometimes why your life is kind of flaky. Wonder why sometimes you don't sense the leading of the Lord. Wonder sometimes why struggling with sin. See, these Jews, if you were to ask them, that is those in Thessalonica, would have said that they love God. Yet, as I mentioned earlier, they find themselves fighting against God. Paul calls these Jews more noble. Why? Because they didn't take it for granted that they knew it all. They're in the synagogue. To some degree, we appreciate that they understood God's word. They know God's word. It's like us sitting here in church, isn't it? I mean, the Bible's a a big book. Myself and Mark were talking to a guy this week when we was up Oxford Street. Went up there to get something and um, we was going to McDonald's just to have some lunch. And see this guy, he's selling his CDs. And um, tall guy, black guy, it was like a rap CD. And he was just saying, you've probably seen them around, out, out and about. And he was saying, you know what? Man's is just trying to ting out on road, you know what I mean? And boy trying to, you know what I mean? Trying to eat some food, trying to eat some bread. And it's like trying to do this like decently. You, 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 you don't want to support a brother, you know what I mean? And he was, a, he was genuinely a nice guy, I can't lie. Um, so he pulls out this seed and we're like, okay, evidently this is an opportunity, you know what I mean, for us to talk to this guy. And he pulls out this CD and on the CD is his name. And his name is, Mark, help me. Was it Dirty Something Another? Is his name. And then I look at the bottom of the CD and it's got parent ad- parental advisory like warning for the lyrics. So we're like, oh, you know what, bruv? It's so good to see you out here trying and you could be robbing man's and drumming man's yard and you're not. You're out here trying to earn a cross legally. Big up. That's nice. But we can't really support this because, you know what I mean? We're not coming from this point of view. It's good, but... You know what I mean? I said, anyway, cut a long story short. We're there talking and reasoning and chatting with the guy. And I've completely forgotten the point that I was trying to make. But, um... That's what it, thank you, Marky. The Bible's a big book. You know what I'm saying? Now, he didn't, but how often have you heard people say, as you're trying to witness to them, I've read the Bible, man. I've read the Bible cover to... I've read the... He did say that! I, he said, I read the Quran, I read the Bible. And we were like, and, and, and at the time I never thought it, but um, isn't it true? People say they've read, I mean, how long have you been a Christian? How many of us in here, how many people, maybe a hundred people, how many people have read through the whole Bible cover to cover? But I know that it's going to be a minority, embarrassingly so, Right? Now, we're Christian, we're in every single week. You get me? And we still ain't been through the whole Bible yet. Come and tell me that you read the whole Bible. You see why there's a need for us to examine the scriptures how often? Daily. 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 Even though you know it, you still need to go back over it because... You always see something new, something fresh. Because God's word is, 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 is it unfathomable? 
It's, it's incomprehensible in a complete and total sense. Because it's alive, Hebrews 4, verse 12. Right? Now, we make reference to this verse, that is Acts chapter 17, verse 11, very often with regard to believers today who take the word of God seriously. And the question is, are you a Berean? Am I a Berean? Are we Bereans? You ever heard that term? See, do you hear this vital information and turn on your heels in ignorance? I mean, literally leave here today like you, like you were never here. I mean, the, the question is, what was the point of coming? Leave here, and it's just like the parable of the sower. Where Jesus in Matthew 13 says, the sower goes out to sow the word and he throws the seed out onto the ground, right? And some of it falls on the wayside. Now what's the wayside? The wayside is still soil. We think wayside, I was talking about the pavement. It is, but it's not concrete. It's dirt, just like the rest of the dirt. dirt. But it's dirt that's been trodden on. So much so, there's a path. You know like when you go through the park? And sometimes you, you, you want to get to where you're going real quick, so you just go to cut through, where everybody goes. So much so that it's soil, but it's hard soil, and there's nothing growing there. Because people are walking on it all the time. That's the wayside. And, and Jesus says the farmer sows the seed, and it, and it hits the wayside soil, and it bounces. It, it doesn't sink into the ground because it's so hard. And that could be you possibly today. Everything you've heard. I mean, some of us are dribbling over, over, over those prophecies. Like, wow! But you leave here like, it's like water off a duck's back. The seed doesn't even penetrate your heart. And like Jesus says, you walk away and you don't understand anything that was said. Why? Because the devil comes and he snatches it. Just like the birds that Jesus has come down and they pick up the seeds and they eat them. Do you hear this vital information and turn away to your own demise in ignorance? Or do you hear this message like the scribes and the Pharisees and you resist it? You reject you, you're, you're the opposite to the person who's... What, 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 what church this morning? What, what, did they, what were they talking about? I ain't got a clue what they were talking about. That's not you. You, you want to have words with me afterwards. Because <laughs> what I've said, you're not having it. And it's only true we're in a public place. <laughs> that, that you keep it non-physical. <laughs> we was out in Camberwell one time. Old stories today. I said I was going to try and aim at being 40 minutes from now on, but please continue to pray for me. Um, I was out in Camberwell one years ago, sharing. I met some Muslim guys. And the, these brothers... Oh, wow, I've got 10 minutes left. I'm doing better than I thought. These Muslim guys come along, started talking to them, said, you know what, bruv? Can't get down with the Islam thing. Said, fam, Abraham... Isaac, 
and Jacob, not Abraham, Ishmael, and whoever. Guys wanted to fight me. His, his, his Muslim friends and two of his friends who were not even Muslims, who were just jamming, had to hold him back because he wanted to fight me in the middle of Campbell. Maybe that's you. Or maybe it's not you. But these individuals exist who resist, reject, and even retaliate in regard to this message. See, but are you a Berean? That's the person who listens to reason and examines the evidence. You know, Christianity ain't no blind faith. It's not no blind religion. It has substance. If only you'd give it a moment, give it some time, and you owe it to yourself. See? Ex listen to reason and examine the evidence, and the Bereans, they end up being convinced. Verse 12. Many of them, therefore believed and that's what happened when you examine the scriptures daily trust me many of them therefore believed with not a few greek women of high standing as well as the men notice again luke mentions the women he's doing this for a purpose this is a completely different culture it's western as opposed to eastern and Luke is making a point as he repeatedly mentions the status of these women. Now, just as you thought that the drama was over and it seemed safe to get back into the water, as it were, verse 13, but when the Jews from Thessalonica, that's back there, learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul here now in Berea, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. I mean... These brothers have got issues. Verse 14. So the brothers, they don't risk another confrontation. Seeing how badly it affected the church the last time. Right? So they send Paul away. Verse 14. And the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. That is south. But Silas and Timothy remained there in Berea. Verse 15. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. Now, where's Athens? Athens is south because they go down by the sea, right? And they go down to the south of Greece to Athens. They travel south via the Aegean Sea. And after receiving a command, now this is just Paul, right? After receiving a command from Silas and Timothy to come to him, that is to Paul, who is in Athens now, as soon as possible, they then departed. God willing, we will pick up in Athens next week. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for... Your word is amazing. For some, it's just a dusty old book that is on the shelf somewhere in the attic. Lord, your word is amazing. And I thank you that, just like Lydia last week, you have opened up our hearts in order that we might pay attention to the wonders 
that you've deposited in your word. Truly, the wise man of Proverbs says <clears throat> that your word is like, it's like treasure. But Father, in order to hit that treasure, we've got to dig. And yet that is our lot. That is, that, is, that is what you have done with regard to the treasure of your word. You've locked it away. It's coming like, Lord, you've done it in such a way that people won't just stumble over it. They won't stumble over the treasures, over the riches. And yet at the same time, it's amazing because without a road map, you lead your people to the treasure. You lead us to X marks the spot. By your grace, by your spirit, we find ourselves at that place. Even this afternoon. Father, would you give us the grace to take our shovels out and start digging? Would you give us the strength that is necessary? Give us the patience that we need to read our Bibles. That we would excavate diamonds. Lord, information that's far above rubies that completely and totally eclipses anything that we might suggest today on this planet to be worth anything. Lord, I pray that you would help us because evidently, apart from your grace, Lord, Father, please allow this word to sink down deep into our hearts. Lord, let it not bounce off of hard, wayside hearts of concrete. Lord, give us hearts of flesh and allow your word to take deep root in those hearts and produce fruit, we pray. For Jesus' sake and for the glory of Jesus' name.